If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm John Selbach. I direct our young adult ministry, and I'm filling in for Josh, who's at a pastor's conference uh, in uh, <clears throat> Hawaii. Um, <laughs> hold on, hold on. He who is without sin casts the first stone. He who has not gone to Hawaii casts the first stone. It's good. It's good that people take a break, uh, especially Pastor Josh. I was reading a survey, a study that came out that said whenever you prepare for and preach a sermon, you lose somewhere between three and five pounds in just wrestling over the text of the sermon and delivering it. And if you know Pastor Josh, he's got nowhere else to give. I mean, we need to give him a break uh, before he disappears right in front of our eyes. Uh, maybe you're like me. You're uh, distracted half the sermon going, what size waist is that exactly? Where do you get pants like that? And you're no help, Pastor Robert. So they brought me out because I could preach for a while. And you can see we'll have no issues there. I can go for a while. Good morning. We are in a series looking at what is the Bible. And as we move in the second part of this series, we're starting to look at how we respond to these words that come from these ancient texts that we've been studying and how it was put together. And then now we're looking at what do we come to do when we come to the Bible. And oftentimes we'll sing a song that says, open the eyes of my heart. But our sermon this morning is to have ears to hear. So I want to pray for us that we would have those ears, that the ears of our hearts and of our minds would be open. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, open up our ears, ears to hear. Through your spirit, illuminate these words for us. Give us the blessing that you bring when we engage your word and may it land in fertile soil. May we learn, Lord, from you and be transformed by you to go out into the world to do these things. We pray this in your name. Amen. The scripture passage that we studied this morning, Jesus was telling parables. As you can tell, he sat there and he started to speak in parables, and the disciples were very confused. I mean, first they were confused by the meaning of the parable. They didn't quite understand it. And they're going to come up to Jesus and say, I, I, we don't understand the parable. Uh, but they were also confused as to why Jesus was speaking in parables at all. Parables are very easy to understand stories. They're relatable to the audience, but they contain these deep spiritual truths in them. And the disciples were basically asking, why? Why, why not just plain teach? Why parables? And Jesus responds to them and says, not everyone is ready to hear these words. Not everyone is here to actually receive them and put them to use. Some people are just here out of curiosity. They might be more fans than followers. And so these stories are meant to see who is going to lean in, who is going to want to know more. And this morning, I pray we lean in. Here's what I'm going to do this morning. We're going to look at the scripture passage, and later in Mark chapter 4, Jesus explains his own parable. He does what the disciples ask him to do, which is, can you explain this to us? And he does. So I'm going to put them kind of side by side on the screen so that you can see the parable itself and then Jesus' explanation. So let's start with this parable of the sower, which some people call sometimes the parable of the soils, because this morning we're going to see four types of soils in which the seed lands. And I want you to pay attention to the word listen and hear. Those two words, they keep coming up over and over in this, in this parable. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And Jesus explains it a little bit later. He says, the sower sows the word. This is the word of God. 
It may be the word of the kingdom that Jesus is announcing. Behold, the kingdom is at hand. This good news that the kingdom of God has broken into our world and will continue to do so and that we can be part of that kingdom now and begin our citizenship in that kingdom now. It could be the word of the gospel, the good news that our sins can be forgiven, that we can begin an eternal life with God now and walk in his ways now. But it could also mean more broadly the word that is proclaimed, whether it's proclaimed here on Sunday morning or whether we study it together in groups, whether we read these ancient texts and hear the word of God revealed to us. He says that this seed that the sower is sowing is the word. And notice that the sower is sowing wildly. He's broadcasting the seed lavishly. He's not focusing on just where it goes. He wants to get it out everywhere. And it seems that Jesus might be that sower, but so too his disciples later and their disciples, all the way down to us. When we tell others about the goodness of the kingdom and of the gospel and the word and these scriptures or the people that sowed it into our own lives. So he explains it's the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. They hear it, but it's taken away. Now, again, we might think, who would sow on a path? I mean, we're not the most agrarian people in Southern California, but we know that you don't throw seed on hard ground. But again, the sower is broadcasting the seed lavishly, and it falls there, and it's part of the parable to explain that in some places where the word of God goes, there is a hardness of our hearts, perhaps. There's a hardness. Now, you might think of someone and say, well, that's someone. It describes a certain person where their heart is so hardened that they cannot receive the word when they hear it. And it's easy to make that quickly and say, yep, I know somebody. I can bring somebody to mind right now whose heart is hardened to the word of God. But we should also look at our own lives because there might be areas in our lives where we've hardened our heart. We might be open to God in many areas and then say, but not this area, Lord. No, this is off limits. This is my area, or don't, don't come here. Or when we read convicting words in Scripture sometimes, or when they directly address this area, we just kind of tend to gloss over them, justify them, move them off. And we need to just know that there may be hardness in our own heart at times. It's not just people who are completely hardened. It may be us as well. Or it could be a lack of understanding. Pastor Josh has taught us that sometimes when you read these scriptures, there are difficult things that require study. There are things that require a context. There's things that together we need to wrestle together to understand what does this mean, and it could be a lack of understanding. The reason I know that Jesus could be indicating that is because look at what he says next. Who are the birds that come to pick up this seed? He says it's Satan. You know, when I, when I talk to my young adults, a lot of them are always asking, like, is Satan real? I mean, is this just mythology from ancient people writing? I mean, is there a real person? Is there a real personality that brings this evil? A number of weeks ago, we had Eric Balmer speak to us and talk about that very subject, affirming it. But what I often tell my young adults is, you know, it'd be an easier case to make what you're saying if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus constantly reminded us of this. And here in this parable, he says, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. It is not just human hardness. It is not just the condition of our heart by ourselves. There is times when Satan is all too glad to take away the word before it has any chance of making any impact in our lives or putting down any root. We call this in the church spiritual warfare. 
It's a recognition that not all of our battles come from just our own hearts or the things that we see. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this, and this is a reminder that I always think back to when he says that we're not fighting just an earthly battle. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The Apostle Paul is saying we need to destroy these strongholds. And what are they? What are the strongholds? We might be confused by that word, but the good news is he tells us in the next, the next verse, we destroy arguments. Arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Jesus tells us in the parable that some of the seed will not have a chance to go in before Satan comes to snatch it away and prevent any of its effectiveness. And the Apostle Paul says when we see that happening, we need to destroy that through what? Destroy the arguments. And how do we do that? You know, I argue for a living you don't know, I'm an attorney, and I argue for a living. And a lot of times when my young adults are struggling with, with deep doubts about something, when they've heard arguments that seem to stand against the knowledge of God, when they're, when they're struggling and their mind is clouded, my first instinct is to come up with a better argument. That's what I know how to do. I want to out-argue them, come up with a better argument, show them a better text, show them better scholarship. But you know what? That's sometimes misguided because the battle is not earthly only. It's spiritual. And so my first response should be, and I confess it is often not, but it should be to pray. And that should be our response, in fact, to hardened soil, whether it's in the life of somebody we know that we're pleading with God that they might come closer to God, or it's in our own life where we see a hardened area that we refuse to let the word do its work. The first response to this soil should be prayer. And to pray specifically that God would give us what we need to destroy these arguments and these opinions raised against the knowledge of God so that the word might be effective. So next is the rocky ground. And here, what, what Jesus is talking about is he says, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And the disciples say, explain that. What does that mean? And he says to them, these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, they immediately fall away. Anyone in here ever had trouble? Persecution? Some sort of suffering? Some sort of difficulty? Now Jesus is saying this is going to happen on account of the word. Because of our belief and our following in the way of Jesus, this will happen. But all of us have experienced trouble and tribulation and, and, and things that come upon us unexpectedly. Jesus in John 16 told us that in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So he's telling us it will happen. But what's our first reaction when something crazy happens to us, when something unexpectedly happens to us? What's our first reaction? It's usually to turn to the heavens and say, God, where are you in this? 
right? Isn't that our first reaction? Which is, by the way, throughout the scriptures, it's a biblical response. And the next one is, have I done something wrong? And the reason we come up with those first and foremost, when something sudden happens in our lives, something tragic, we say, Lord, where are you? And what have I done wrong? It's because we're in shock. And that's often our response, just like these plants that are growing up are in shock when this happens. Why are we in shock when these things happen? We live in a fallen world. We ourselves contribute to so much of the brokenness. Why is it shocking to us when something bad befalls us? Have we been lulled into the idea that there will be nothing that goes wrong in our lives, especially in our lives of following Jesus when he told us, just the opposite could happen. Have we not read deeply enough or prepared ourselves enough? We should be shocked that it doesn't happen more often. We should experience and know and recognize and thank God for his grace that he withholds even more than we know. Because if he were to withdraw his hands, who knows what would be unleashed in a broken world where all of our sinfulness contributes to so much of the tragedy. But it's often that shock. And that shows us, just like these plants who were shocked by the scorching sun, that we don't have deep roots. We have not deepened our roots. And so the response to this kind of soil when we see it in our own lives is to deepen our roots. To deepen our understanding of God as he is revealed. All of him. Not just the parts that fit on the calendar or the mug. Not the parts that we trade with each other as memes. Not the parts we just say over each other as trite ways of saying, that's great, thanks for talking to me, I'll see you later. Not those verses, but all of them. And to put them together and live in the balance of the tension that the scripture creates for us about a God who is mysterious and can work through these situations. A God who is sovereign, who knows what's going on. A hope that we have that transcends the things that happen in this life. And a kingdom that's available to us that has no end. A glory that awaits us. We need to deepen our roots into these things. And we do that by reading the whole of Scripture. By receiving all of it and understanding it well. You know, a lot of times, especially in our group, when we're talking to young adults and they come to me with a verse that's badly paraphrased, badly mistaken out of context, it's almost, the, I call it the good times translation. Because you take the head off of one verse and the body off another and you put them together and you make a new verse, right? And, and people, when I, when I try to stop people and they go, come on, you're kind of a killjoy about that. Like, you're not the verse police. But I want to be. I want to police worship songs. I want to police, like, and I'm not even, like, and there's others who are more qualified than this, but here's why I want to. It's because I know that the trouble's going to come. I know the storm's going to come. And if you believe words from Scripture that aren't really there, and you believe in a God who isn't really revealed himself that way, and when the storm comes and you turn to the heavens and you say, where are you in this, and what is going on? A lot of times faith fails because we have not deeply rooted ourselves in the word and understood it properly. And so the response here is deepen our roots. That's what we're supposed to do. And then he says, other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. So when they asked him, what does this mean? He said, 
Others are sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. See, in this case, in this soil, the seed went in. It sprouted roots, and it came up. But it was unfruitful, no grain. Jesus in the scriptures repeatedly warns about being unfruitful. He says that an unfruitful tree is good for nothing else but to be cut off and thrown into the fire. That's the only thing it does good is it at least fuels the fire. But it's no good just sitting there looking beautiful if it produces no fruit, especially to a society that relied on that fruit for food. And Jesus says you'll know a good tree from a bad tree. How? Because a good tree produces fruit. And a bad tree produces nothing. It just looks good. You know, only God can judge the inside of our heart and what is really going on inside of our heart as we hear the word and we're receiving it. But Jesus gave us a clue that you, though you can't see the inside of a person, you can see what comes out of them. And if what comes out of them is fruit, then you know that the inward transformation of the kingdom and the gospel and the word of the Lord, the inward transformation is happening. The nutrients are going in because the fruit is coming out. And here he's saying these plants from this seed would have been fruitful, but something happened. They were planted among thorns, and the thorns took all the nutrients. The thorns competed and choked them out so that what happened was there was no fruit. What are the thorns? Jesus tells us. He says, it's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. This word deceitfulness could also be translated as the pleasures of wealth. And this soil is one we all should pay very much attention to in the most prosperous nation that has ever existed on the face of the earth and probably the most prosperous region within that, in the most prosperous time. This is our greatest problem of producing fruit, is that we might miss the impact that the word could make because of these things surrounding us. Think about the accumulation that we all have in our lives. The Bible says they're not just accumulating things, but all the time it takes to maintain all that we accumulate. The distractions that we have. Maybe it's not material possession only, but all the cares of the world. All the ways that we're being taught to get angry and frustrated and to worry about things that we can do nothing about. To track people and to spend all of our times endlessly trying to win arguments that nobody's asking us our opinion about anyway. Or maybe, like such troubles my young people so much, is these computers that walk around in our pockets, these phones, that broadcast tragedy and suffering and, and natural dis like causes and all sorts of tragedies around the world, disasters and, and illnesses, and there's nothing we can do about it. And we're, we can pray about them, we can know about them, but we're endlessly distracted. Or entertainment. The amount of time that we spend entertaining ourselves and we don't allow the word to come in and actually receive those nutrients. The effectiveness is choked out, it's starved out, and we look good on the outside. I'm good at this. This is my biggest struggle, to look good on the outside, to, to know the scriptures when I need to teach them. And to come to them repeatedly when I want to explain them to others, 
but not to spend time letting them inform my life and then all the nutrients are being taken up into other things, right? Are you the same? Do you feel that way? Nobody has to come to me week after week and say, you know, John, it would be a good idea if you binge that next show on Netflix. Like, nobody has to convince me of that, right? Nobody has to tell me that, uh, you know, that I, I should be excited about going out to get that great meal at a restaurant, but somebody has to keep coming back to me every week to remind me that I should be engaging God's word and receiving that as nourishment in my life. It's amazing how we make time for those things that come naturally. So what do we need to do in this area? What is our response here? We need to be together on this one. This is one of the reasons that we need to read Scripture in a community, not just to help one another understand it correctly, but for you to come into my life, maybe not all of you, maybe a couple of you, some of you, who are going to come into my life and say, hey, uh, you know, there's these areas in your life that I think you're paying too much attention to. And I need to be able to do that in your life. And together, in smaller groupings of people who trust one another as brothers and sisters, we need that in the church so that we can point out to one another that this may not be the best way to see this seed become fruitful. Maybe these things around you are are thorns, and they're stealing away these nutrients. You know, I'm very good at justifying almost anything that's going on in my life and thinking that's part of the life that I'm offering to the Lord. You would be much better at pointing out those things and saying, I don't know about that part, John. You need to hear me on this. And I want to do the same with you. Uh, We sometimes think that we can do this all by ourselves, and this is the reason that we are to read in community. I mean, there are other great reasons, but this is a very good one. Well, the part that probably didn't need any explanation was Jesus saying, and other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And here Jesus explains, what is that good soil? He says, but those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. They hear it. Matthew, in his version, writes, they hear it and they understand it. They accept it and they understand it and they bear fruit. It goes in. And it comes out, and it bears fruit. And then Jesus says, after saying the word hear so many times, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, I mean, everybody has ears, so is this just like, hey, everybody listen up? Is that a good way of saying it? Is that the, uh, the way that Jesus might have said it in Aramaic? Hey, everybody listen up. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think Jesus means something deeper. Not everybody has ears to hear. He just illustrated through the parable that some people don't have ears to hear all the way through. But if you do, hear and listen. It goes back to the, verse, the first word of this parable, listen. It's not just that you should hear the words audibly. There's an act of obedience in here. If you came to me and said, uh, John, I'd like your advice on something. Uh, and then I told you some, you know, whatever the response was. And then you said to me, well, well, what do you think I should do? 
I would say, I think you should listen to me. I don't mean that you didn't hear me the first time. I mean that you should do what I said. Listen to me. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Listen. If you have ears to hear, hear, listen. Put this into practice. This is what you're supposed to do. You know, Jesus told many famous parables, like this one, the parable of the sower, the parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son. One that we often talk about, too, is he told this story about a man who built his house on the rock, a wise man, and then a man who built his house on the sand, a foolish man. I often ask people before I teach this, I go, what is the rock? Wise man builds on the rock, foolish man does not. What is the rock? And everybody says, Jesus. That's the answer in church, isn't it? I mean, if you don't know, just put that one in. There's a good chance you'll get it. Jesus. It's most small group discussions, that's the answer anyway. So, so like, whatever it is, but that's not what Jesus was teaching. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is not the rock. Jesus is the rock in every worship song. That's, if there's rock, it's Jesus, including a song we might sing a little bit later this morning. And the scripture describes God as a rock and a fortress, so it's not wrong to call Jesus the rock, but when he taught it, he taught it a little bit differently, and this is what it sounds, this is what it is. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What's the rock? Hearing it and doing it is the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Hearing and doing. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Notice both of them heard, but the wise man did. And that is what we are to do in response to all of these aspects of our life when we hear the word. How is it that we have ears to hear? It's because we hear the word we root out those distractions in our life. We root out those lack of understandings. We pray against the hardness in our heart. We pray against the arguments that stand and cloud our mind against God. We just, we're, we're trying in every way to improve the soil that we're in. But in the end, even when we hear the word and it goes in, it's because we've heard it and done it. We've obeyed it. The Apostle James says the same thing. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Otherwise, you're like a man who looks in the mirror, he says, and immediately forgets what he looks like the minute he walks away. Another foolish man who just looks for a minute and goes, yeah, 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 I should do all those things. Those are really good things for me to do, and then immediately forgets it. We're to hear and then do. Okay. If I stop the sermon right now, that, that would be okay. Some of you would be like, yeah, that would be good. I'm here on Short Sermon Sunday. That's always the best Sunday in the uh, liturgical calendar. But if we end the sermon here, uh, we would be missing a, a key component, and that is the good news that comes with this. 
You see, if you just stopped right here, what you'd be hearing me say is that we receive the word, we do all this work to root out all these thorns and, and all this other stuff in our lives and all these materialism, and we, we, just, we need to hear it and do it, and that just sounds like a lot of hard work. And all I've done this morning is burdened you with more hard work in a life where Jesus says, my burden is good, it's light. Like, where is that? And this is where it is. You know, when I look at these San Gabriel Mountains, I think, man, those are beautiful mountains. But there are some people in this church that are insane enough that when they see those mountains, they think, I'm going to ride a bike up that mountain. (laughs) Pastor Robert. (laughs) I mean, there's other people that go, but that's crazy. They ride right by my house from like, you know, sea level to 5,000 feet elevation on a bike straight uphill. These words could feel that way to you right now. These words could feel like, well, you need to hear the words and put them into practice and just, here's your bike, just, you know, start pedaling. That is not the good news. The good news is in addition to this beautiful thing that the Lord has done in instituting his kingdom, in paying the price for us, in granting us the way of salvation, and allowing his righteousness to be imputed to us in the forgiveness of sins and the life to come, all of these things, he gave the disciples on his last night of teaching with them before his trial one more piece of good news, and he said, I've got to go away, and that's good news for you. Most of them were thinking, that doesn't sound like good news. Uh, We left all the stuff we had to follow you. (laughs) We left everything for you. We've been watching what you've been doing. It's amazing. We've been listening to your teaching. Most of it we don't quite understand yet. What do you mean it's better that you go? And he said, because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And it is better for you because the Holy Spirit will be in you. God will be in you. And instead of thinking like I do, you look uphill and you think, I'm going to pedal all that way up. It's almost like the Lord comes and just motorizes your bike. And the Lord's mighty hand grabs it from behind and starts pushing you up that hill while you barely pedal. And you feel the power of God enabling you to do the things that you've heard and to change you from the inside to make you more capable to do the very things that he says, this is the way of my kingdom. This is my way, come follow me. And somehow we're able to do it. On that last night, these are the things that Jesus said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. An advocate, powerful for you, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Your life in Christ, because of the power of the Spirit, is motorized. And later on he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Friends, when we hear the word... And know that to be wise and to follow in the way of Jesus means that we need to put it into practice and be doers. We are not left alone. Look around you. We have this community of others who have gone before us who are here to be part of that journey. That's why we're supposed to be part of the body of Christ together. But it's also the reason 
that we are promised the spirit of God in us to empower us to do those things so it is not a grind. But over a life lived with God, we find that it becomes, we become more and more like Christ and are able to do more and more in his power. And that is good news. On that same night when he gathered the disciples to give them that good news, he also told them that he was giving them the bread and the cup as reminders of his body and blood shed for them. We're going to enter into a time of communion now so that we might commune together with God and with one another in this place in remembrance of all that Jesus has done. I'm going to ask the band to come back up right now. And if you want to take out your communion elements and get them ready, I'll be back up in a minute to, so that we can take them together. And if you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand and someone will get one to you. And I'm going to pray specifically for us to have those ears to hear and the power of the Spirit helping us in what we're to do. Let's pray together. Lord, soften the soil of the hardened heart. We pray against every argument against the knowledge of you. Lord, give us deep roots. Lord, root out distraction and the materialism that surrounds us. Lord, may we find ourselves in good soil that hears and does and listens to you. And may all of this be done in the power of the Spirit so that we're carried along that we find that you've done more than we could ever hope or imagine because of these things. You've given us the beautiful way to live, the way we were intended to live, the kingdom way to live, and you've even given us the power to live it. May this be true of our community. We pray this in your name. Amen.